Hi, this is Bulat Halilov, the host of the Global Zomia project on East East. We are discovering non-academic and DIY ethnographic projects in order to showcase different ways of working with traditional and local music. I am speaking with Vic Sahoni, founder of Ostinata Records, a label releasing recordings from Africa. Today we will speak less about music itself, but more about the ways music intersects with politics, history and aesthetics. This is maybe due to the fact that Ostinata is not only a music label, but a tool for sharing ideas and information. Yeah, so uh, I used to work uh, in journalism, in international news media. So I, you know, I spent a lot of time uh, covering stories from around the world. I worked on an international news desk. I've also grown up in many different countries around the world. I was born in India. I grew up in the Philippines, Thailand, Singapore, and the U.S. I've also lived in Europe, Africa, the Caribbean. You know, I've, I've, I've I really feel like, a, you know, I, I'm a citizen of the world. But, you know, working in international news media and uh, being a citizen of the world who is not a Westerner, you begin to see that the world is, uh, you know, it doesn't necessarily work in my favor. Or even if you're Russian, I'm sure you understand also, you know, that the, the world is, uh, uh, you know, can demonize Russia a lot. Can, can uh, The international news media can paint a very negative picture of Russia or even my country or many countries. Yes, and nice. being someone who worked in uh, news media and someone who grew up in many different countries, I knew that these countries that the world, you know, does not understand or fears or hates have a lot to offer, whether it's Somalia or Haiti or the Congo or India or anywhere. It told a lot of lies and I've worked in international news media where I've seen those lies uh, time and time again. And, uh, you know, having grown up in so many countries, I know that every country has a very rich culture, a very rich history. And it's about time that we start moving away from the Western understanding of history, the European understanding, the Western European understanding of history, the American understanding of history. And we really focus on history and, we, we uh, you know, giving respect to all the countries from, you know, giving their own history the chance to shine and their own cultures a chance to shine. And I thought, you know... When I was a journalist, there were so many stories I wanted to tell about different countries that I was not able to. You know, you can't tell a, a positive story about Somalia. You have to tell the negative story. Mm -hmm. uh, you can't take a picture of something good in Somalia. The picture has to be of war, has to be of death. You know, so I, I've seen this propaganda far too much, and I think it's time that we start challenging it. And I think a, uh, one of the best ways to do that is through music. So my, my record label, you know, is not only just about music, it's about history, it's about politics. It's a very political record label. I'm sure from my releases you've seen, I try to make a political statement with every release. So, you know, the, the idea is to, is to tell the stories that have not been told, to challenge the lies that we've been told, and to use music almost as a weapon um, to do so. Most of your label's releases do not feature traditional music, but instead include let's say, some local variation of Western genres. Do you think this music may be perpetuating a colonial view? 
You know, it's a good point, but I have to disagree because, you know, when you look at so much music, you have to understand the origins of the music. So mm -hmm. now if you say that a lot of this music was influenced by the West, I would argue differently. If you look at the music of Haiti, you know, the music of the, of the United States, the jazz and the funk, it didn't travel from New York to Chicago to New Orleans to Haiti. It traveled from Haiti to New Orleans to Chicago to New York. Mm -hmm. So you have to see where the origins lie. The origins lie in these countries because you have to remember Haiti was a slave colony before the United States even imported uh, people you know started importing slaves enslaved Africans so you know, when you look at Somalia for example people say oh this is uh, this sounds like James Brown or this sounds like reggae but if you ask the Somali musicians they'll say well we were playing this rhythm far before James Brown far before uh, you know reggae so we have to understand that our understanding of this music is is westernized. We we tend to think that this music is uh, is local variations of Western music, and of course, yes, there are. They do, of course. These people were listening to Michael Jackson and Lionel Richie. But if you if you ask me, the music of Haiti, for example, the compilation I released, those sounds from Haiti, those melodies from Haiti, were far older than anything that was produced in the United States. So you take the, the the very last song on the album that I have on the Haitian album, Messi Bon Dieu, thank you my you know thank you my God, that song, mm -hmm. that song was a composition that was written in you know the early 1900s in Haiti by a man named Franz Cassius. That song then traveled to New Orleans where it was reinterpreted. It then traveled to Chicago and then to New York. Mm -hmm. So you have to understand where the origins of this is, this music come from. And I would argue they're not Western music, but the music in the West is actually local variations of Haitian music, local variations of Somali music. That would be my argument. Lajon, 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 lajon
Why would you say the focus is on archival recordings as opposite to recording modern music yourself? No, I, because I, you know, I'm a student of history. Um, I studied history in university and I believe very much in the power of history. History is not, to me, is not just, you know, facts and dates. History is how we perceive the world, how we perceive ourselves, how we think of others, you know, the respect we hold for others. So it's very important to change the narrative of history in order to move forward because if people's only idea of Haiti and Somalia is war and poverty and, you know, violence and rape and all this stuff. That comes from their perception of history. That's because they don't understand and they don't know what kind of history these countries have. If you change someone's perception of history, it changes their entire way of thinking. So I, I focus on history because I believe in the power of history to change the way people see the present and the way people respect and, and treat each other and, and see each other. So I, I tend to focus on archival recordings because I think Even not, not only the news media we see of the present is full of lies, but I mean the way history is taught in schools, especially in, in, you know, in the West. And even, you know, I went to international schools and American schools when I was growing up in different countries. And even in these schools, even if you're not living in the West, if you go to a British school in Moscow or you go to an American school in Japan, you're still taught the same lies. You know, so it, it's very important to go back and, and change the entire dynamic of how we learn history. So... I want to use uh, the, this, these archives. Uh, I focus on the archives because they challenge the, the lies that we've been told about the histories of these countries. But is there something artistic, something about the aesthetic of these old archives recordings? Maybe some unique sound? The history to me is the most important. Of course, you know, I, I also do believe that the music that was recorded 
you know, in the 70s and 80s uh, and the 60s, just begin what was happening politically at the time, particularly in Africa and the Caribbean, even in the United States. There was a whole shift happening that countries were becoming independent. You know, uh, black mm -hmm. Americans were getting their rights. Haiti was expressing itself. There was a huge cultural and political movement in the 60s and 70s that gave birth to a lot of music. Um, so I do also find it from a musical standpoint to be just richer music because I do enjoy music that, you know, is performed by big bands uh, and things like that. And, you know, because this, uh, again, this was an era in which the governments especially invested a lot in the arts, whether it was in Haiti or in Somalia, there was a lot of investment in the arts by the governments because they believed the music was a way of decolonizing their country. So to me, the, the priority is the historical story that's told here. But I also do think the music is just, is just better. So. <laughs> You are talking about discovering an inner history and a non-Western point of view, but the formats of both ethnography and the record labels are Western and probably colonial, uh, don't you think? 
Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. I mean, every one thing we have to understand is that everything in our in our modern world for the last 500 years has been created by the West. Our economics, our politics. You know, why do we all have to be democratic countries? Why do we all have to be capitalist countries? Because you know, a few Western guys from the UK say so. I mean, you know, so everything in the world we operate within a Western world. We operate within a world that Western Europe created, right? That the United States then went and fought for some more. So we operate in this world. And you know, our job, my job, as someone who has been raised in the colonized world and in the West, you know, so I see both sides. We can't destroy this system of Western dominance. We can't destroy this system we created because, at the end of the day, it is still a system of privilege. It is privileged outsiders who can go to these countries, find the music, release it. Of course, it is. But our job is to put as many limits on it as possible so it doesn't have that. Anthropological, ethnomusicological uh, approach to it, and I totally agree with you. I think that approach is way too old. It's 2017. It should it shouldn't exist anymore. But I think if you look at the way labels are doing it today, and you look at the way you know, I try my best not to engage in that. And I think just by virtue of not being a Westerner, you know, I'm able to get access in these countries and experience these cultures. Perhaps I would argue even on a more deep level. Like for example, I can walk around Somalia, you know, because I'm 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 a brown Indian. Um, and Indians and Somalis have had a very long relationship. I can walk around Somalia. People will let me into their homes. No one's going to harm me. No one, no one is going to do me any uh, harm. No one caused me any trouble. I'm safe there because I, I'm not the enemy. You know what I mean? I, I, I did my my country did not do anything to Somalia. So Somalis have a long respect for Indians, and I'm treated very differently. When I go to Haiti, I'm treated very differently because I'm not a Westerner, which means I have insights and access that I think a lot of Westerners might not have when they go to these countries. You know, I think people are more open with me. People are maybe even happier to share their music with me because they know I'm coming from a place and from a part of the world that has experienced the same, you know, exploitation that they have. So they mm-hmm. understand that I understand. What I try to do is. Knowing that still I'm a privileged outsider, I'm someone who has the opportunity and you know have been able to get the finances to do something like this. That makes me someone of privilege. So when I go to these countries, I ensure, I try to ensure. And I think a lot of labels are doing this. I would say there's not many labels today that you know are on that ethnomusicological kind of you know colonial trip. But yes, everything we do, unfortunately, has to op. You know the, the game we play, the rules were written. By a few Western men in Western Europe. At the end of the day, we want to tell a great story. We want to challenge history, but we have to play by the rules that Western Europe created. So our, my job, I feel, is not to is not to just play by the rules fully. Is to make sure that I bend the rules as much as I can, and I limit the exploitation that is inherent, that is part and parcel of the capitalist Western system. Everything that happens in capitalism is an exploitation, and there's no difference between going to Africa, taking music. Processing it in Europe or the U.S. and then selling a manufactured product—that's what they do with all natural resources, right? They go to Africa or Latin America, they get oil, they get diamonds,、mm-hmm. they send it to Brussels to get the diamonds cut, and then they turn it and then they sell it to Tiffany or another diamond store, and you get a manufactured diamond. It, 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 the, the process of capitalism—you know—we cannot destroy capitalism, so we have to put as many limits on it as possible, and we do that. By making sure we treat the stories with the most respect possible, we tell the stories from the Somali perspective, from the Haitian perspective. We make sure the artists get paid. We make sure that we limit the exploitation and the,、uh, you know, the 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 Western way of doing things as much as possible. I mean, I'm I'm in this business because I have seen how much damage Western media can do, how much damage Western education can do. Um, even though I've worked in Western media, I've studied in Western education. I know it has great benefits, but it does a lot of damage. 
So I try to limit that damage as much as possible. But, you know, the rules of the game are the rules of the game, and you have to play the game. So we try to play the game, but we try to bend the rules as much as possible. There is a positive side to being a non-Western person in your work. But are there some negatives, some locked doors? Um, you know, I have, I have to say luckily, because I think the world has come forward, I have not personally experienced anything negative, mm -hmm. um, especially when I'm doing the projects, when I'm in Somalia or I'm you know, in Cape Verde or I'm in any country, Haiti, um, because they are so used to seeing white men come to do this work. They are always surprised when I am coming to do this work. And they're always surprised that someone, you know, from Asia who grew up in India and Southeast Asia, you know, my upbringing is in Asia, that, they, uh, that I have a fascination for music all the way on a different side of the planet. And I always explain to them that, listen, your culture and my culture might come from two separate parts of the world, but we are part, our cultures have been the victims of the same system. You know, Indian culture and Haitian culture and Somali culture were all colonized. They were all pushed under the carpet. They were all suppressed. They were all oppressed. So we are all, I, I, you know, when I tell them that our struggle is very similar, you know, all our countries are fighting for a similar, uh, you know, a place in the world. We're fighting for a positive image. We're fighting to show the world that we have far more than what you, what you, what you, um, what you expect from us. Mm -hmm. And then there is, a, there is an alliance almost that I find when I go to these countries. Of course, a place like Somalia or anywhere in East Africa where India has had ancient relationships, you know, I'm very welcome. People treat me almost like a long lost brother or something. But in Haiti, where some people don't even know what India is, right away they notice that, you know, I'm coming from a perspective that understands their exploitation. That understand, you know, there are places in Haiti, there are places in India that I've been to that are far, that are even more poor than Haiti, you know. So I know, I've seen, I've, I've felt, I've, I've, I understand this. So it, it's largely been very positive. Um, from the negative side, I would have to say the only thing I would have to say is because I am an Indian, I'm an Indian citizen. You have to understand a lot of these record labels, in, especially in Europe, in Western Europe. You have to understand why these record labels exist, mainly exist in Western Europe, because, of course, Western Europe's colonial relationship with the world, they have access to these cultures and countries. Mm -hmm. A lot of the recorded music is sitting in archives in Europe. You know, th this is a colonial legacy as well, these European record labels. Um, but you also have to understand that Europe has a tremendous amount of funding for the arts. So, you, you, you know, if you're a German label, you can go to the German government and say, listen, I have a great idea for a project and the German government will give you some money to do that project. The same thing in the UK, the same thing in France. I, as an Indian, don't have that. I can't go anywhere and do that. Even though, you know, my, you know I'm based in New York, my record label is based in, in the United States because it's better to, you know, have a, from a business point of view, it's better to have a, a music label based in the United States because of all the rule of law and the copyright infrastructure and everything. You know, but at the same time, I am not uh, able to access that kind of funding. So I sometimes find it tough. You know, I have to, um, I have to fight even harder to sell mm -hmm. records and to, to come up with the money to do more projects. I, I don't have access to same kind of funding that Europeans and Canadians or Australians might have. And I think that is perhaps the only negative, but that's not an, a negative of being Indian. That's a negative of, uh, you know, the fact that <laughs> India's wealth and Haiti's wealth is sitting in, in, in France and, and, and London. So, Do you think Asinata's releases are popular in the places where they were cr originally created? This is the biggest strategy, and this, go this is the biggest tragedy, and this goes back to the system of capitalism that Europe placed on Africa or in Haiti. So I'm, let's step away from music for a little while. You look at Coco, okay? Coco comes mainly from the Ivory Coast in, 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 in West Africa. The majority of the world's Coco comes from Ghana and Ivory Coast. 
the cocoa farmers who, who, who supply that cocoa to all the big chocolate companies in Europe, right? Mm -hmm. They have never tasted the chocolate that their cocoa produces. They are poor cocoa farmers who don't control the price of their cocoa. The price of their cocoa is controlled by someone in New York sitting on a desk in Wall Street. Um, their cocoa is exported to France or somewhere else uh, or to the U.S. to be manufactured into, into luxury chocolate. Now, it's the same thing with the music. And it's really tragic that we do this because there are no outlets for me to sell vinyl LPs that cost $30 or CDs that cost $15 in Mogadishu, which is coming out of a civil war, or Port-au-Prince in Haiti, which is coming out of... Uh, which you know is is an impoverished country. In my release from the Cape Verde Islands, yes, I sent many copies uh, over there, and uh, they were able to put it in some shops and in the radio, and it was fantastic. I'm gonna I, I've sent some copies to Mogadishu, but it's only for you know the, the people who helped us there and the radio station there, but it it doesn't get sold there. But having said that, everyone today has the internet. Even even someone in Mogadishu who drives a taxi, his phone has internet, right? Mm -hmm. So. People in Somalia know that this album is released. Um, they know it's out there. You know, they, they know that people are now listening to Somali music. And, uh, you know, from what I've heard, they're very happy about that. Um, in Haiti, uh, it was similar, but on a smaller scale. You know, only some of the, the, mainly the people who work in the radio stations and the musicians and stuff knew that the album was out. There aren't many sales in Somalia or Haiti or Cape Verde. And I think that's it's a tragedy, but, you know, like we say, it's that's that's the that's the capitalist nature of it. Uh, we have to take this music from these countries, and you know, if we have to make you know, we have to run a business on them, and we have to sell records and music. Unfortunately, those things are going to be sold mainly in the markets that can afford them, and those markets tend to be North America, Western Europe, Japan, Australia. But now, you know, because the world is changing, the markets are changing. So now, I do have some sales in places like Brazil or in South Africa mm -hmm. or in um, India, for example. Um, you know, where people now have Amazon and iTunes and everything, they can access these things. So the sales are not great in these places, but you know, it's expanding. And you know, if I can sell a compilation from Somalia, even in South Africa. At least it's being sold on the continent. So you know that's that's one way, like I said, of, of lessening the exploitation of, of capitalism here. But like I said, it's the rules of the game are terrible. And you know until we can we can change the rules of the game and change the power relationships, um, this is how it's going to be, unfortunately.
Let's get back to your conception. When you said you show another perception of history, are you bringing it Western audience only or for local communities too? Yes. Yeah, so one thing you have to understand is because it is the West that controls the international media, mm-hmm. it is the West that controls international images and international perceptions. You have to you you have to change their perceptions greatly to have an impact. But also remember that people in Haiti and Somalia and Cape Verde they know their history. They know they have a rich culture. They know that they're not uh, what the media makes them out to be. They know who they are. They don't need the they don't need the education. But the people that in those societies who do need the education are those in the diaspora, right? So Somalis, because of the war, there's a million Somalis living all over the world now. Uh, from uh, uh, Haiti, Haiti has over two million Haitians living, you know, in the U.S. and Europe and everywhere else. So it is, you know, but you know, the moms and dads and the grandmothers and grandfathers, they all know their history. What I find amazing is when I release this music and I tell these stories and I write about these stories, it's it's the kids. You know, who are 18, 19, 20, who grew up in the U.S., who grew up in Europe, who grew up in Australia or wherever, who don't know their history, who grew up thinking that their country, you know, their entire life, if you're Somali and you're 20 years old, your entire life is, um, is, is your entire idea of yourself is, 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 is of a, a criminal, a, a soldier, mm-hmm. a, you know, violence, this, that. So I have a lot of Somalis who are younger, who grew up in the West, who contact me and say, thank you so much. You know, we now we finally know that we have such a rich culture and history. It makes us feel prouder. It makes us, you know, understand ourselves better. It gives us more confidence. And, you know, that's something I wish I had when I was growing up. You know, no one told me, you know, I had to I had to learn Indian history and Asian history by myself. You know, no one taught it to me in school. So I grew up not understanding that I come from a rich part of the world. I come from a rich history. So, you know, because I didn't have that, I'm glad I'm able to give that to the children of, of, of people who fled their countries that might not have war. So, you know, the Somalis in Mogadishu, they know their culture and history. They don't need any telling. The Haitians in Port-au-Prince know their culture and history. They don't need any telling. Mm-hmm. But uh, Westerners don't know. The Japanese might not know. Even Indians might not know. You know, the, there's a, the world doesn't know because our history has been written by the West. Our, our, our cultures have been defined by the West. And it, it's not stopping. So everything we're doing is challenging all the Western anthropologists, all the Western ethnomusicologists, all the racists, everyone out there saying, all the all the historians who write all this crap that, you know, the West civilized us and gave us all this everything, you know, it's, we're challenging that at every step and turn of the way. So, yeah. Are you ever afraid that most of your Western audience is listening to Astinato releases just because it sounds weird and exotic, but not because of your message? Um, yes, that's definitely a concern. I think, you know, that, that tends to happen, um, you know, with, say, for example, you know, there's so many of these Nigerian boogie records or Nigerian funk records, and they just kind of come out for entertainment, like, yeah, this is good club music, this, that. Mm-hmm. But because, you know, I'm sure you've seen my releases, I, when I promote my releases, it's, it's, I write articles mm-hmm. about the history. Mm-hmm. I, I push the history as much as possible. So, you know, every single person that's interviewed me about the Somalia compilation, they're, they're, none of them are coming from an entertainment standpoint. They're all mind-blown, and they are, they are, you know, I've had, uh, you know, people who work at big news agencies, whether it's the New York Times, Washington Post, contact me and say, wow, we didn't even know this history about Somalia. Mm-hmm. So I think, 
when you play this music for them, yeah, of course, there are some people who come from only a DJ mindset who say, okay, this is great. I can play this at two o'clock in the morning and everyone will dance to it. Great. Okay, fine. You know, I still have to sell records. That's a market. Fine. But there are, I would say, especially for a release like Somalia, everyone who has heard it now, they are never going to see Somalia the same again. How can they? How can they ever look at the TV when they see Somalia and they see violence? They're going to say, wait a minute. This is not the country I know now. I have a CD that proves otherwise. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think that that was a trend for a long time. But I think you know, I think labels have done a good job um, making it less about the entertainment and more about the history. But you know, my label is fully dedicated towards that. And if someone doesn't like the music, but their entire idea of Somalia has changed, I would say that was that's a huge success. <laughs>
Some technical questions. How do you find music to publish and how do you select songs and curate releases? You know, I, I can't do these by myself. So I always work with, uh, if I have an idea for a country that I know has great music and I need to, uh, I want to release it, I'll work with people who have researched the music, who have a very strong understanding of it, have a big collection of it. So I work with a lot of, you know, for Haiti and Cape Verde, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, record diggers who had a lot of uh, great collections and I work with them. Uh, I work with researchers, um, you know, first to create like a roadmap to understand the country's music, musical past, understand the bands, the singers, the famous songs, the, you know, understand the whole, the whole scene. And then I go to the country. Um, and when I'm in the country, you know, it's, 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 it's a lot of, it's, it's, you know, very early mornings and very late nights. We, you know, I work the whole day. I'm out and about meeting people, researching, talking to every, I mean, I, mean, I talk to everybody, not just people in music. I talk to people on the street. I talk to the taxi driver. And I just ask questions and questions because I want to learn everything. And I take notes. And this is my journalism, you know, being a journalist, this is where that comes from. I go there and I, I research and I write in my little notebook everything I can. And mm -hmm. I find as many – and I find uh, – while I'm researching, of course, I find uh, – I look for the original records themselves. I look for the original master tapes or whatever I can find. Um, this is mainly for Haiti and Cape Verde because these were two places where there wasn't an archive. I actually went around and – and found everything. Um, and then I work a lot with the diasporas. Uh, you know, there's the Haitian diaspora in the U.S. is, you know, a very big. The Cape Verdean diaspora in the U.S. is very big. And they all have great record collections. Um, you know, so I work with them. Um, and they're very open to working with me because they are also people who had to leave their country. So they want to do something for their culture as well. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, once I've done all that, um, you know, I sit down with all the knowledge I have now, all the research I've done, um, all the people I've spoken to, and all the records in front of me, and I say, okay, now what uh, is a track selection that isn't only going to be the best sounding track selection, but the track selection that does justice to the songs that this country and this culture hold very important, that people loved or people danced to when they were younger. I mean, there have been, you know, in Haiti, I, I, I met, you know, the, the leader, or well, he's now... He's been put in charge of one of the most famous bands there called Super Jazz de Jeune, which has been a band since the 1960s. It now has different members. Um, but he's a doctor, and he's been, you know, been kind of put in charge of managing this band. Mm -hmm. And when I spoke to him and I said, you know, this is, these are the two songs I want to use, he said, you know, one of those songs is a good representation of the band. The other one, I don't think so. I said, what do you mean? And he played me some songs that he thought were great representations of the band. And I said, you know, I like some of those songs, but unfortunately, I don't think other people will, you know, so I have to I have to balance the expectations of a culture with also what is going to be commercially uh, feasible, what what is actually going to sell, what people are going to love. You know, I'm also a DJ, so I know what people will dance to. I know what people will enjoy. I know, you know, I can you know, I love the traditional music of countries. I love it. You know, if uh, if it's just very simple instruments uh, and singing, that's the traditional style. I love that. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, that will not have as big of an impact worldwide as, you know, the big band music. So I have to gamble, not gamble, but I have to balance uh, many things before I make a track selection. Mm -hmm. And, uh, of course, you also have to make sure you have the right material, the good master recording for everything. And then I get on the process of tracking down um, the copyright holders, you know, and that can be a very uh, confusing thing because this is old music. Some of the copyrights uh, didn't exist in these countries back then. So, you know, again, you have to play a balancing game. One, you have to follow, I follow U.S. copyright law, so I have to follow U.S. copyright law and what that tells me to do. But I also have to be fair. 
So, you know, if a record label in Haiti produced a song 60 years or 40 years ago and the record producer is sitting somewhere in Miami or New York, I could go to him and legally by U.S. law, if I pay him, mm -hmm. uh, I've done the right thing. You know, I'm legally clear. But the musician is never going to see any of that money, even though the law says that the producer has to then give royalties to the musician. I know that's, ne that's never going to happen. Mm -hmm. So sometimes, you know, what you have to do is you have to say, listen, uh, who is, you know, the musician, I think, needs the money more. The musician is living in Haiti, and I think he needs the money more. So I'll license a song from the musician. You know, so even licensing comes down to a sense of fairness and, again, limiting that capitalist exploitation. You know, we have to limit it. And the way you limit that is doing things like this by saying, listen, U.S. copyright law doesn't understand the exploitation of countries like Haiti. Uh, let me bypass some of the things that U.S. copyright law says because I think it's more fair to pay the artist or the artist family than to pay the producer who's probably never going to pay the artist. Mm -hmm. You know, so, um, and then, you know, I, that, that's all the hard work. Then the fun stuff starts. Then we, you know, I, I work with my graphic designer. I work with my sound engineer. And, you know, we remaster the songs. We, we, we take all the elements that, you know, uh, all the visual elements I see in a country, the designs, the colors, all that, you know, uh, the photos. And I, I give it to my graphic designer. I say, come on, let's 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 create a great cover. Let's create a great design, a design that is uh, uses a lot of the elements that the country has. You know, the the textures and the patterns and the uh, uh, that the of that, of that country's culture. Let, let's use everything there. So yeah, that's that's the that's basically the process. And then once everything's done, then then it's the promo campaign. And you know, I I treat my promotional campaigns differently. I say instead of you know marketing it like a commercial product, let me tell a story. Let me tell as many stories possible as I can, you know. So I, I, you know, I will get as many stories as I can published on the internet or in magazines, not only about the music but around the politics and the economics and the history behind the time period that this music was created. It's very important to understand, um, you know, why this music was created. You have to understand the politics. You have to understand the history. You have to understand the 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 imbalances in global power you know you have to understand so much to understand what was going on in the country to understand why this music was produced so that's that's really the the process in the terms of somalia we just kind of sat in an archive for a very long time and uh digitized a lot of things which had had its own uh you know challenges uh with it but that was uh i, I prefer being in a country where i can run around and meet people sitting in an archive for as long as we did it was uh, it did get a little bit uh not boring but very uh very almost like I was working in an office, you know, and I said, yeah, I, yeah, I, I, didn't, I didn't start a record label to work in an office. So. There are a lot of modern labels working with anti or decolonial messages. Do you think is potentially a form of apology for Western civilization's past? That's a really good question. And I think um, this is actually a conversation, you know, everything you've asked me, it's funny. It's a conversation I have with so many of my friends from India and, and Africa and, and places like that. Um, I think a lot of what the West does is built on guilt. I do believe that. But I think that guilt is, it, it, it manifests itself in, in odd ways. So, you know, you have all these Western aid agencies, you have all this Western aid and all that. But, oh, you know, all that aid, those aid agencies and that aid, does it actually do any good for these countries? Or is it just another form of control? Uh, when it comes to music, the thing is, I, I, I think perhaps record labels in the past, you know, um, maybe 20, 30 years ago that we're doing this might have been driven by some kind of guilt. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't think, you know, when I, you know, cause I know a lot of the owners of a lot of these record labels. I know where they're coming from. I know where their heart is. Um, I don't think they are personally driven by that. 
Mm-hmm. I think structure of how the West interacts with the rest of the world, yes, is driven by, of course it's driven by, it, it, it's, it's a weird kind of guilt, you know, because it's a guilt that says, not for music, but for anything that says, listen, you know, we completely robbed and pillaged and destroyed your countries, but, you know, in, in exchange, you know, we'll give you a million dollars a year or we'll, mm-hmm. we'll send you some wheat or we'll send you some rice. As, you know, it, it's, 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 it's silly. It has no impact whatsoever. You know, if you're really, if you're really sorry, you would say, listen, we're going to give you $3 trillion tomorrow and we're going to completely, you know, cure your country of poverty. You know, when it comes to the music, you know, because I know a lot of these record labels, I'm 31. A lot of these guys are probably 40, you know, or in their mid-30s or in their 40s. Um, a lot of these guys have also gone to college and they've also studied and they've also understood, you know, th- this entire sense of history and this entire sense of, wow, I cannot believe that my whole life I've been brainwashed into believing that only the West had good music uh, mm-hmm. or only, you know, the U.S. and Australia or the U.K. released good music. I think there there is a genuineness to the, the newer record labels and, and I think their hearts are really in the right place. You know, I would say they, I learned a lot of what I do from a lot of the record labels that come out today. Um, that are available today and you know I learned the ethics and the, the ethical stance is very strong amongst these labels because I know how they operate I know how they do their deals I, I don't think there's any label today that's you know exploiting heavily I don't think there's any label that is um, you know approaching this from a colonial standpoint even though at times it might seem like that you know but like I said because if you are a European and you go to Africa right away you have 500 years of history on your shoulders that you're bringing so anything you do has a little bit of colonialism, you can't help them. So again, you have to minimize that. So I do not think the labels of today are operating on a basis of guilt. I think that a lot of things in the West are operating on a basis of guilt, but I don't think the music is. I'm a 
Yeah, but... 